Chapter Eighteen of the Crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen, and ye had been where I had been. We went back to Kaskaskia, Colonel Clark, Tom, and myself, and a great weight was lifted from our hearts. A peaceful autumn passed, and we were happy, save when we thought of those we had left at home. There's no space here to tell of many incidents. Great chiefs who had not been to the council came hundreds of leagues across wide rivers that they might see with their own eyes this man who had made peace without gold, and these had to be amused and entertained. The apples ripened and were shaken to the ground by the winds. The good father, Gibault, true to his promise, strove to teach me French. Indeed, I picked up much of that language in my intercourse with the inhabitants of Kaskaskia. How well I recall that simple life, its dances, its songs, and the games with the laughing boys and girls on the common. And the good people were very kind to the orphan that dwelt with Colonel Clark, the drummer boy of his regiment. But winter brought forebodings. When the garden patches grew bare and brown, and the bleak winds from across the Mississippi swept over the common, untoward tidings came like water dripping from a roof, bit by bit. And day by day Colonel Clark looked graver. The messengers he had sent to Vincennes came not back, and the couriers and traders from time to time brought rumors of a British force gathering like a thundercloud in the northeast. Monsieur Vigo himself, who had gone to Vincennes on his own business, did not return. As for the inhabitants, some of them who had once bowed to us with a smile, now passed with faces averted. The cold set the miry roads like cement in ruts and ridges. A flurry of snow came and powdered the roofs even as the French loaves are powdered. It was January. There was Colonel Clark on a runt of an Indian pony, Tom McChesney on another riding ahead, several French gentlemen seated on stools in a two-wheeled cart, and myself. We were going to Cahokia, and it was very cold, and when the tireless wheels bumped from ridge to gully, the gentlemen grabbed each other as they slid about and laughed. All at once the merriment ceased and looking forward we saw that tom had leaped from his saddle and was bending over something in the snow these chanced to be footprints of some twenty men the immediate result of this alarming discovery was that tom went on express to warn captain bowman and the rest of us returned to a painful scene at kaskaskia we reached the village the french gentlemen leaped down from their stools in the cart and in ten minutes the streets were filled with frenzied, hooded figures. Hamilton, called the hair-buyer, was upon them, with no less than six hundred, and he would hang them to their own gate-posts for listening to the long knives. These were but a handful after all was said. There was Father Gabalt, for example. Father Gabalt would doubtless be exposed to the crows in the belfry of his own church, because he had busied himself at Vincennes and with other matters. Father Gabalt was human, and therefore lovable. 
he bade his parishioners a hasty and tearful farewell and he made a cold and painful journey to the territories of his spanish majesty across the mississippi father gabalt looked back and against the gray of the winter's twilight there were flames like red maple leaves in the fort the men stood to their guns their faces flushed with staring at the burning houses only a few were burned enough to give no cover for hamilton and his six hundred if they came but they did not come the faithful bowman and his men arrived instead with the news that there had been only a roving party of forty and these were now in full retreat father gabalt came back but where was hamilton this was the disquieting thing one bitter day when the sun smiled mockingly on the powdered common a horseman was perceived on the fort cart road it was monsieur vigo returning from vincennes but he had been first to st louis by reason of the value he set upon his head yes monsieur vigo had been to vincennes remaining a little longer than he expected the guest of governor hamilton so governor hamilton had recaptured that place monsieur vigo was no spy hence he had gone first to st louis governor hamilton was at vincennes with much of king george's gold and many supplies and certain indians who had not been at the council eight hundred in all said monsieur vigo using his fingers and it was governor hamilton's design to march upon kaskaskia and cahokia and sweep over kentucky nay he had already sent certain emissaries to mcgillivray and his creeks and the southern indians with presents and these were to press forward on their side the governor could do nothing now but would move as soon as rigors of winter had somewhat relented monsieur vigo shook his head and shrugged his shoulders he loved les americans what would monsieur le colonel do now monsieur le colonel was grave but this was his usual manner he did not tear his hair but the ways of the long knives were past understanding he asked many questions how was it with the garrison at vincennes monsieur vigo was exact as a business man should be they were now reduced to eighty men and five hundred savages had gone out to ravage there was no chance then of hamilton moving at present monsieur vigo threw up his hands never had he made such a trip and he had been forced to come back by a northern route the wabash was as the great lakes and the forests grew out of the water a fox could not go to vincennes in this weather a fish monsieur vigo laughed heartily yes a fish might then said colonel clark we will be fish monsieur vigo stared and passed his hand from his forehead backwards over his long hair i leaned forward in my corner by the hickory fire then we will be fish said colonel clark better that than food for the crows but if we stay here we shall be caught like bears in a trap and kentucky will be at hamilton's mercy sacre exclaimed monsieur vigo you are mad mon ami i know what this country is and you cannot get to vincennes i will get to vincennes said colonel clark so gently that monsieur vigo knew he meant it i will swim to vincennes 
Monsieur Vigo raised his hands to heaven. The three of us went out of the door and walked. There was a snowy place in front of the church, all party-colored like a clown's coat. Scarlet capotes, yellow capotes, and blue capotes, and bright silk handkerchiefs. They surrounded the colonel. Pardieu, what was he to do now? For the British governor and his savages were coming to take revenge on them, because in their necessity they had declared for Congress. Colonel Clark went silently on his way to the gate. But Monsieur Vigo stopped, and Kaskaskia heard with a shock that this man of iron was to march against Vincennes. The gates of the fort were shut, and the captains summoned. Undaunted woodsmen as they were, they were lukewarm at first at the idea of this march through the floods. Who can blame them? They had, indeed, sacrificed much. But in ten minutes they had caught his enthusiasm, which is one of the mysteries of genius. And the men paraded in the snow likewise caught it, and swung their hats at the notion of taking the hair-buyer. "'Tis no news to me,' said Terence, stamping his feet on the flinty ground. "'Wasn't it David that pointed him out to us?' and the hair lifting from his head six months since. Would you like swimming, yes? said Swin Polson, his face like the rising sun with the cold. Swimming it is, said Terence. Sure the devil made worse things than weather, and Hamilton's beyond. I reckon that'll fetch us through, Bill Cowan put in grimly. It was a blessed thing that none of us had a bird's-eye view of that same water, no man of force will listen when his mind is made up, and perhaps it is just as well, for in that way things are accomplished. Clark would not listen to Monsieur Vigo, and hence the financier had perforce to listen to Clark. There were several miracles before we left. Monsieur Vigo, for instance, agreed to pay the expenses of the expedition, though in his heart he thought we should never get to Vincennes. Incidentally, he was never repaid. Then there were the French, yesterday running hither and thither in pyroxiums of fear, today enlisting in whole companies, though it were easier to get to the wild geese of the swamps than to Hamilton. Their ladies stitched colors day and night and presented them with simple confidence to the colonel in the church. Twenty stands of colors for one hundred and seventy men, counting those who had come from Cahokia. Think of the industry of it, of the enthusiasm behind it. Twenty stands of colors. Clark took them all, and in due time it will be told how the colors took Vincennes. This was because Colonel Clark was a man of destiny. Furthermore, Colonel Clark was off the next morning at dawn to buy a Mississippi keel-boat. He had her rigged up with two four-pounders and four swivels, filling her with provisions and calling her the Willing. She was the first gunboat on the western waters. A great fear came into my heart, and at dusk I stole back to the Colonel's house alone. The snow had turned to rain, and Terence stood guard within the doorway. Hurrah, he said. What ails you, darling? I gulped. 
and the tears sprang into my eyes whereupon terence in defiance of all military laws laid his gun against the doorpost and put his arms around me and i confided my fears it was at this critical juncture that the door opened and colonel clark came out what's to do here he demanded gazing at us sternly saving your honor's presence said terence he's afeard your honor will be sending him on the boat sure he wants to go swimming with the rest of us colonel clark frowned bit his lip and terence seized his gun and stood to attention it were right to leave you in kaskaskia said the colonel the water will be over your head the king's drum will be floating the likes of him said the irrepressible terence and the boys would be that lonesome the colonel walked away without a word in an hour's time he came back to find me cleaning his accoutrements by the fire for a while he did not speak but busied himself with his papers i having lighted the candles for him presently he spoke my name and i stood before him i will give you a piece of advice davy said he if you want a thing go straight to the man that has it mcchesney has spoken to me about this wild notion of yours of going to vincennes and cowan and mccann and ray and a dozen others have dogged my footsteps i only spoke to terence because he asked me sir i answered i said nothing to anyone else he laid down his pen and looked at me with an odd expression what a weird little piece you are he exclaimed you seem to have wormed your way into the hearts of these men you know that you will probably never get to vincennes alive i don't care sir i said a happy thought struck me if they see a boy going through the water sir i hesitated abashed what then said clark shortly it may keep some from going back i finished at that he gave a sort of gasp and stared at me the more egad he said i believe the good lord launched you wrong in too perhaps you'll be a child when you're fifty he was silent a long time and fell to musing and i thought he had forgotten may i go sir i asked at length he started come here said he but when i was close to him he merely laid his hand on my shoulder yes you may go davy he sighed and presently turned to his writing again and i went back joyfully to my cleaning on a certain dark fourth of february picture the village of kaskaskia assembled on the river bank in capote and hood ropes are cast off the keelboat pushes her blunt nose through the cold muddy water the oars churn up dirty yellow foam and cheers shake the sodden air so the willing left on her long journey down the kaskaskia into the flood of the mississippi against many weary leagues of the ohio's current and up the swollen wabash until they were to come to the mouth of the white river near vincennes there they were to await us should we ever see them again i think that this was the unspoken question in the hearts of the many 
who were to go by land. The fifth was a mild gray day, with the melting snow lying in patches on the brown bluff, and the sun making shift to pierce here and there. We formed the regiment in the fort, backwoodsmen and creole, now to fight for their common country. Jacques and Pierre and Alphonse, and mother and father, sweetheart and wife, waiting to wave a last good-bye. Bravely we marched out of the gate and into the church for Father Gabault's blessing, and then, forming once more, we filed away on the road leading northward to the ferry, our colors flying, leaving the weeping, cheering crowd behind. In front of the tall men of the column was a wizened figure, beating madly on a drum, stepping proudly with head thrown back. It was Cowan's voice that snapped the strain. Go it, Davy, my little gamecock, he cried, and the men laughed and cheered. And so we came to the bleak ferry landing where we had crossed on that hot July night six months before. We were soon on the prairies, and in the misty rain that fell and fell, they seemed to melt afar into the gray and cheerless ocean. The sodden grass was matted now and unkempt lifeless lakes filled the depressions and through them we waded mile after mile ankle-deep there was a little cavalcade mounted on the tiny french ponies and sometimes i rode with these but oftenest cowan or tom would fling me drum and all on his shoulder for we had reached the forest swamps where the water is the color of the creole coffee and day after day as we marched the soft rain came out of the east and wet us to the skin. It was a journey of torments, and even that first part of it was enough to discourage the most resolute spirit. Men might be led through it, but never driven. It is ever the mind which suffers through the monotonies of bodily discomfort, and none knew this better than Clark himself every morning as we set out with the wet hide chafing our skin the colonel would run the length of the regiment crying who gives the feast to-night boys now it was bowman's company now mccarty's now bailey's how the hunters vied with each other to supply the best and spent the days stalking the deer cowering in the wet thickets we crossed the saline and on the plains beyond was a great black patch a herd of buffalo a party of chosen men headed by tom mcchesney was sent after them and never shall i forget the sight of the mad beasts charging through the water that night when our chilled feet could bear no more we sought out a patch of raised ground a little firmer than the quagmire and heaped up the beginnings of a fire with such brush as could be made to burn, robbing the naked thickets. Saddle and stake sizzled, leather steamed and stiffened, hearts and bodies thawed, grievances that men had nursed over miles of water melted. Courage sits best on a full stomach, and as they ate they cared not whether the Atlantic had opened between them and Vincennes an hour agone and there were twenty cursing laggards counting the leagues back to kaskaskia 
now c'était un beau chevage tout noir de barbellinia tishka ofet seville cabia un son sac à tabac tishka en en tenavic tinoche tanoic tinoche tishka so sang antoine beat le grice in the pulsing red light and when between the verses he went through the agonies of a huron war-dance the assembled regiment howled with delight some men knew cities and those who dwelt in the quarters of cities but grizzled antoine knew the half of a continent and the manners of trading and killing of the tribes thereof and after antoine came gabriel a marked contrast gabriel five feet six and the glare showing but a faint dark line on his quivering lip gabriel was a patriot a tribute he must pay to all of those brave frenchmen who went with us nay gabriel had left at home on his little farm near the village a young wife of a fortnight and so his lip quivered as he sang petit rocher de la haute montagne je vois fini et qui compagne ardo echo entendez mes soupirs en we had need of gaiety after that and so bill cowan sang billy of the wild wood and terence mccann wailed an irish jig stamping the water out of the spongy ground amidst storms of mirth as he desisted breathless and panting he flung me up in the firelight before the eyes of all crying it's davy can bait me ah davy davy they shouted for they were in the mood for anything there stood colonel clark in the dimmer light of the background we must keep em screwed up davy he had said that very day there came to me on the instant a wild song that my father had taught me when the liquor held him in dominance exhilarated i sprang from terence's arms to the sodden bared space and methinks i yet hear my shrill piping note and see my legs kicking in the fling of it there was an uproar a deeper voice chimed in and here was macandrew flinging his legs with mine i fought on land i fought on sea at home i fought me at but i met the devil and dundee on the brides of killiecrankio and ye had been where i had been ye would not be so contio and ye had seen what i had seen on the brides of killiecrankio in the morning clark himself would be the first off through the gray rain laughing and shouting and waving his sword in the air and i after him as hard as i could pelt through the mud beating the charge on my drum until the war cries of the regiment drowned the sound of it for we were upon a pleasure trip lest any man forget a pleasure trip amidst stark woods and brown plains flecked with ponds so we followed him until we came to a place where in summer two quiet rivers flowed through green forests the little wabashes and now now hickory and maple oak and cottonwood stood shivering in three feet of water on what had been a league of dry land we stood dismayed at the crumbling edge of the hill and one hundred and seventy pairs of eyes were turned on clark 
with a mere glance at the running stream high on the bank and the drowned forest beyond he turned and faced them i reckon you've earned a rest boys he said we'll have games today. there were some dozen of the unflinching who needed not to be amused choosing a great poplar these he set to hollowing out a pirogue and himself came among the others and played leapfrog and the indian game of ball until night fell and these instead of moping and quarrelling forgot that night as i cooked him a buffalo steak he drew near the fire with bowman for the love of god keep up their spirits bowman said the colonel keep up their spirits until we get them across once on the farther hills they cannot go back here was a different being from the shouting boy who had led the games and the war dance that night in the circle of the blaze tired out we went to sleep with the ring of the axes in our ears and in the morning there were more games while the squad crossed the river to the drowned neck built a rough scaffold there and notched a trail across it to the scaffold the baggage was ferried and the next morning bit by bit the regiment even now the pains shoot through my body when i think of how man after man plunged waist-deep into the icy water toward the farther branch the pirogue was filled with the weak and in the end of it i was curled up with my drum heroism is a many-sided thing it is one matter to fight and finish another to endure hell's tortures hour after hour all day they waited with numbed feet vainly searching for a footing in the slime truly the agony of a brave man is among the greatest of the world's tragedies to see as they splashed onward toward the tree trunks many a joke went forth though lips were drawn and teeth pounded together i have not the heart to recall these jokes it would seem a sacrilege there were quarrels too the men striving to push one another from the easier paths and deeds sublime when some straggler clutched at the bole of a tree for support and was helped onward through excruciating ways a dozen held trembling to the pirogue's gunwale lest they fall and drown one walked ahead with a smile or else fell back to lend a helping shoulder to a fainting man and there was tom mcchesney all day long i watched him and thanked god that polly ann could not see him thus and yet how the pride would have leaped within her humor came not easily to him but charity and courage and unselfishness he had in abundance what he suffered none knew but through those awful hours he was always among the stragglers helping the weak and despairing when his strength might have taken him far ahead toward comfort and safety i'm all right davy he would say in answer to my look as he passed me but on his face was written something that i did not understand how the creole farmers and traders unused even to the common ways of woodcraft endured that fearful day and others that followed i know not and when a tardy justice shall arise and compel the people of this land to raise a shaft in memory of clark and those who followed him 
let not the loyalty of the french be forgotten though it be not understood at eventide came to lurid and disordered brains the knowledge that the other branch was here and mercifully it was shallower than the first holding his rifle high with a war-hoop bill cowan plunged into the stream unable to contain myself more i flung my drum overboard and went after it and amid shouts and laughter i was towed across by james ray colonel clark stood watching from the bank above and it was he who pulled me bedraggled to dry land i ran away to help gather brush for a fire as i was heaping this in a pile i heard something that i should not have heard nor ought i to repeat it now though i did not need the flames to send the blood tingling through my body mcchesney said the colonel we must thank our stars that we brought the boy along he has a grit and as good a head as any of us i reckon if it hadn't been for him some of them would have turned back long ago i saw tom grinning at the colonel as gratefully as though he himself had been praised the blaze started and soon we had a bonfire some had not the strength to hold out the buffalo meat to the fire even the grumblers and mutineers were silent owing to the ordeal they had gone through but presently when they began to be warmed and fed they talked of other trials to be borne the embarrass and the big wabash for example these must be like the sea itself take the back trail if you like said bill cowan with a loud laugh i reckon the rest of us can float to vincennes on davy's drum but there was no taking the back trail now and well they knew it the games began the unwilling being forced to play and before they fell asleep that night they had taken vincennes scalped the hair buyer and were far on the march to detroit mercifully now that their stomachs were full they had no worries few knew the danger we were in of being cut off by hamilton's roving bands of indians there would be no retreat no escape but a fight to the death and i heard this and much more that was spoken of in low tones at the colonel's fire far into the night of which i never told the rank and file not even tom mcchesney on and on through rain and water we marched until we drew near to the river embarrass drew near did i say sure darling said terence staring comically over the gray waste we've been in it since tuesday there was small exaggeration in it in vain did our feet seek the deeper water it would go no higher than our knees and the sound which the regiment made in marching was like that of a great flat boat going against the current it had been a sad lavender-colored day and now that the gloom of the night was setting in and not so much as a hummock showed itself above the surface the creoles began to murmur and small wonder where was this man leading them this clark who had come amongst them from the skies as it were did he know himself night fell as though a blanket had been spread over the treetops and above the dreary splashing men could be heard calling to one another in the darkness nor was there any supper ahead 
for our food was gone and no game was to be shot over this watery waste a cold like that of eternal space settled in our bones even terence mccann grumbled begob said he tis fine weather for fishes and the birds are that comfortable in the trees tis no place for a baste at all at all sometime in the night there was a cry ray had found the water falling from an oozy bank and there we dozed fitfully until we were startled by a distant boom it was governor hamilton's morning gun at fort sackville vincennes there was no breakfast how we made our way benumbed with hunger and cold to the banks of the wabash i know not captain mccarty's company was set to making canoes and the rest of us looked on apathetically as the huge trees staggered and fell amidst a fountain of spray in the shallow water we were but three leagues from vincennes a raft was bound together and tom mcchesney and three other scouts sent on a desperate journey across the river in search of boats and provisions lest we starve and fall and die on the wet flats before he left tom came to me and the remembrance of his gaunt face haunted me for many years after he drew something from his bosom and held it out to me and i saw that it was a bit of buffalo steak which he had saved i shook my head and the tears came into my eyes come davy he said you're so little and i bent hungry again i shook my head and for the life of me i could say nothing i reckon polly ann never forgive me if anything was to happen to you said he at that i grew strangely angry it's you who need it i cried it's you that has to do the work and she told me to take care of you the big fellow grinned sheepishly as was his wont tis only a bite he pleaded twouldn't only make me hungry and he looked hard at me and it might be the saving of you you'll not eat it for polly ann's sake he asked coaxingly twould not be serving her i answered indignantly you're an obstinate little devil he cried and dropping the morsel on the freshly cut stump he stalked away i ran after him crying out but he leaped on the raft that was already in the stream and began to pole across i slipped the piece into my own hunting shirt all day the men who were too weak to swing axes sat listless on the bank watching in vain for some sight of the willing they saw a canoe rounding the bend instead with a single occupant paddling madly and who should this be but captain willing's own brother escaped from the fort where he had been a prisoner he told us that a man named masonville with a party of indians was in pursuit of him and the next piece of news he had was in the way of raising our despair a little governor hamilton's astonishment at seeing this force here and now would be as great as his own governor hamilton had said indeed that only a navy could take vincennes this year unfortunately mr willing brought no food next in order came five frenchmen trapped by our scouts nor had they any provisions 
But as long as I live I shall never forget how Tom McChesney returned at nightfall, the hero of the hour. He had shot a deer, and never did wolves pick an animal cleaner. They pressed on me a choice piece of it, these great-hearted men who were willing to go hungry for the sake of a child, and when I refused it they would have forced it down my throat. Swin Polson, he that once hid under the bed, deserves a special tablet to his memory. He was for giving me all he had, though his little eyes were unnaturally bright and the red had left his cheeks now. "'He hath no belly, only a little on his backbone,' he cried. "'Big up, then, he has the backbone,' said Terence. "'I have a piece,' said I, and drew forth that which Tom had given me. They brought a quarter of a saddle to Colonel Clark, but he smiled at them kindly and told them to divide it amongst the weak. He looked at me as I sat with my feet crossed on the stump. "'I will follow Davy's example,' said he. At length the canoes were finished, and we crossed the river, swimming over the few miserable skeletons of the French ponies we had brought along. We came to a sugar camp, and beyond it, stretching between us and Vincennes, was a sea of water. Here we made our camp, if camp it could be called. There was no fire, no food, and the water seeped out of the ground on which we lay. Some of those, even who had not yet spoken, now openly said that we should go no farther. For the wind had shifted into the northwest and for the first time since we had left Kaskaskia we saw the stars gleaming like scattered diamonds in the sky. Bit by bit the ground hardened, and if by chance we dozed, we stuck to it. Morning found the men huddled like sheep, their hunting shirts hard as boards, and long before Hamilton's guns we were up and stamping. Antoine poked the butt of his rifle through the ice of the lake in front of us. I think we not get to Vincennes this day, he said. Colonel Clark, who heard him, turned to me. Fetch McChesney here, Davy, he said. Tom came. McChesney, said he, when I get the word, take Davy and his drum on your shoulders and follow me. And Davy, do you think you can sing that song you gave us the other night? Oh, yes, sir, I answered. Without more ado, the Colonel broke the skin of ice and, taking some of the water in his hand, poured powder from his flask into it and rubbed it on his face until he was the color of an Indian. Stepping back, he raised his sword high in the air, and, shouting the Shawnee war-hoop, took a flying leap up to his thighs in the water. Tom swung me instantly to his shoulder and followed, I beating the charge with all my might, though my hands were so numb that I could scarce hold the sticks. Strangest of all, to a man, they came shouting after us. Now, Davy, said the Colonel, I fought on land, I fought at sea. At home I fought my antio, but I met the devil in Dundee on the braes of Killiecankio. I piped it at the top of my voice, and sure enough the regiment took up the course for it had a famous swing. And ye had been where I had been, you would not be so cantio. And ye had seen what I have seen on the braes of Killiecrankio. 
When their breath was gone, we heard Cowan shout that he had found a path under his feet, a path that was on dry land in the summertime. We followed it, feeling carefully, and at length, when we had suffered all that we could bear, we stumbled on to a dry ridge. Here we spent another night of torture, with a second backwater facing us coated with a full inch of ice. And still... There was nothing to eat. End of chapter 18